Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored by Book Riot Deals, our daily roundup of the best books on sale. Every morning, our editors scour the internet to find the very best books on sale from as many genres as possible. We find bestsellers and prize winners, great book club reads, and under-the-radar staff favorites we'd love more people to know about. There's YA, middle grade, adult, fiction, nonfiction, and more. Go to bookriot.com deals to check out our finds of the day and to sign up for our newsletter. We'll send the day's picks straight to your inbox. That's bookriot.com slash deals. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 101, and we're recording on April 2nd. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with guest Vanessa Diaz, editor and co-host of all the books, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today, we are bringing you an SFF mixtape. We're matching some great science fiction and fantasy with music. And we are already having a quite a day. <laughs> oh, it's Friday. We're having fun. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's Friday. We're enjoying ourselves. And I'm really excited because I know how much you love a good playlist. So my moment I... has come. I'm <laughs> so excited. I was made for this. This is going to be great. This is basically yeah. like what Sharifa and I do when we hang out anyway. Instead, now we're like getting paid for it um, and like talking yeah. some books, too. <laughs> that's that's it. That's all we're doing. Exactly. I I love all of your playlists. And I knew when I was like, oh, let's let's choose a couple, you know, songs or whatever. Or you can choose an album. And then, of course, I was like 100 percent not surprised when I go to the list <laughs> and see you've written like 1000, 1000 titles to go with the book. But <laughs> You should have seen the process. Like, I feel that I'm a really great gen replacement in the sense that I was like, oh, they're used to this big spreadsheet energy. Like, they're used to people who, like, make reports out of things that are supposed to just be fun. Um, (laughs) And it is. Like, that's my fun. So it's fine. But, yeah, there was an actual ranking in a spreadsheet before I finally decided on the songs that I picked. Because this is who I am. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. So I guess before we we start talking about news and our mixtape playlist, do you want to tell us about our first sponsor? Absolutely. So this episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored by Emporia State University's School of Library and Information Management. The Masters of Library Science program at Emporia State University is an ALA-accredited program that offers you the flexibility of online classes while also giving you a community of peers to build your professional network. Through a combination of instruction, students are able to form deep connections to the coursework, professors, other students, and practicing professionals in libraries. ESU offers a quick and affordable way to earn your MLS, with most students completing their degree in just two years, even while working a full-time job. To learn more, visit their website at www.emporia.edu slash SLIM, which is School of Library and Information Management. Again, www.emporia.edu slash SLIM. 
Awesome. Do you want to go into We have some interesting news today. This uh, is a, I think it's mix. a mix. Yeah. I yeah. I I'm curious about which which news item you will choose first. I'm going to go with the one that I like the most <laughs> first, um, which is this awesome piece from Tor.com called Every King Arthur Retelling is Fanfic About Who Gets to Be Legendary. And this is actually written by Tracy Dion, who is the author of Legendborn, a book that just came out this year that is so fantastic. I finished it, I think, sometime last month. And Ooh. if you don't know, the book is set in North Carolina. It's about a teenager who is about to enter this sort of like advanced like college program for not gifted kids, but yeah, like bright kids. It's sort of like a, like a leg up on college while you're still in high school. And unfortunately, she's dealing with the grief of her her mom. Her or her mom just passed away, and she goes to this school and like on the very first night has this really weird encounter and realizes that there's a, such a thing as magic and demons, and also there's this organization at the school that has ties to. King Arthur, like King Arthur was a real thing. So were the Knights of the Round Table. And this organization like descends from those times. So Tracy Dion is, you know, in a really great position to talk about this because she spent a lot of time researching Arthuriana. And don't know if you've had a chance to read this one, but it is really mm-hmm. a really cool analysis about, I mean, that people, not with, you know, Arthuriana alone, this is the case with just about anything that people consider canon, like to get really caught up in like, quote unquote, authenticity yeah as you well know especially Mm -hmm. since you have contributed to a work of this very exact subject but the piece is really interesting in that it it dives into the ways in which we only claim that something is bastardizing canon or that it's you know taking a twist on canon or uh that's sacrilege in some way seemingly when it becomes more inclusive yeah people don't seem to have a problem when we you know, remix things as long as it stays very kind of heteronormative and for lack of, you know, white. (laughs) And so whenever, like in her case, where she tries to like, no, I'm actually going to set this in the South and my protagonist is going to be a woman of color, like claiming that this is somehow inauthentic, you're, you're policing who gets to be considered legendary, like who, who gets to have that voice. And it's, it was just such a well time because there's a lot of stuff that's been going around on the internet based on that like movie announcement can't even remember the name of the director but where he basically was like don't worry but this movie's going to be true to the canon and we're like what does that even mean <laughs> like what does that mean Sharifa? what does that mean <laughs> it means nothing it is meaningless it is like weird signaling to people who are upset about inclusivity and about like black and brown people being included in their precious classics um, and I actually, I haven't read this book. One of my friends has actually been like demanding that I Oof. read it because you will love it. she wants to talk about it so much. Uh, honestly, the size of the book Indeed. Over- overwhelmed me, but I absolutely am going to read this. And I thought this was such, uh, it, this piece really got to the heart of this issue that we see come up time and time again, because there are a lot more adaptations and retellings that are being like inclusive of people who have not historically been represented as main characters or who have been in a lot of these uh, adaptations that are based on classics that have 
definitely predominantly come from a Western canon. Like when you think about Hollywood and what stories they choose to adapt and to tell or retell. Yep. Uh, more times than not, they are from the Western canon, and more times than not, they have traditionally featured white characters. And so I thought that Tracy Dion's um, analysis of this sort of outcry about black and brown people in Arthuriana was really great. And it's something I've thought a lot about, like, just because I of course, have read some classics of science fiction and fantasy, as well as just in general, as an English major, you come across a lot of these stories and it's like white, 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 white. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was a really, really great piece. And she also talks about fan fiction later on, that, which is great. Yep. Yeah. I love that framing that basically all storytelling until copyright became a thing was fan fiction. Like, <laughs> yeah. This, I mean, there's, it's obviously debated, like, where this, you know, Arthuriana legend, like, first started, but in effect, it could very well just be, like, a Welsh story. We've gone back and forth about whether Arthur was a real person, blah, blah, blah. But basically, every story about Arthur is just, like, an oral tradition and then eventually became, yeah, fan fiction. Like, everybody took their own take on it. So it's just so maddening when, especially when you frame it that way, right? That, like, hey, everything to this effect has, has been fan fiction and now you want to gatekeep like, who gets to twist that up next? It's just, no, bro. Mm -hmm. like, no. <laughs> like, yeah. When I was uh, when I was researching for um, the anthology Jen, Jen edited yeah. Swordstone Table, um, I remember it was the first time, like, I knew about Arthurian tales. And, you know, I had read some here and there. But it was the first time I realized there were so many versions of it which she talks so about as well many and it's like oh all these people are just basically writing fanfic like they're mm -hmm. taking these stories they have you know they've come across and they're making them their own i mean it's like fairy tales it's, it's, it's like all similar <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean that's kind of i mean as far as like this oral tradition of a story getting told where like the you know legend if you will that's the subject of it just kind of keeps getting bigger and bigger over time that's essentially what happened with arthur why do i know this because one day i had way too much wine and went down like a netflix <laughs> you yeah when does that happen and i i ended up watching some like b-rated <laughs> kind of reenactment if you will of like arthurian oh. legend but it was also <laughs> part like a history deep dive it was it, it wasn't like the best quality but what it did do <laughs> was essentially go back into time and try to research a little like where did we come up with this to begin with and it's yeah it's debated it could very well have been from like the fifth and sixth century wales like story about a person they really do think exists who was defending the britons from the saxons but then like the story that a lot of people like to cite is stuff from thomas mallory and he wasn't till what like 15th century 13th yeah. century so yeah like <laughs> but now you want to be like no we can't remake you can't this do it. now <laughs> Boy. uh yeah i this is so great it is definitely well worth reading the whole thing because it goes she goes into so much um about this subject and i thought this was a really really great piece Totally. And definitely read the book. It's really, really great. And it is a twist on the story that it like you think you know where it's going and it does not. 
in this is what I've heard more yes. than just the obvious, if you will, ways like, hey, people of color get to be no, like it still has a like I still thought I knew where it was going, and then when the actual reveal came, I was like, oh, okay, and there's a sequel too, which is coming. So yay, that's awesome. Well, I want to talk about something that is also fun. And well, I mean, that wasn't <laughs> altogether fun. There was, yeah. <laughs> there were some, mm, yes, yes, yeah. I get you. Uh, but something I really enjoyed reading also was a piece that came out from Polygon, and it's by Andrea Ayers, and it kind of reminded me of some of like the earlier days of the internet because basically what this piece is about is. Um, Andrea, the the writer who back when got into Lord of the Rings and decided that she wanted to wear Arwen's bridge dress. It's like, if you remember, it's like that iconic dress from the films. And she wanted to wear this dress to prom. And she was able to because of the internet. And I chose this story because like, you know, lately we don't get a lot of, like, good stories about things that come from the internet. <laughs> and from, like, fandom is a fraught place sometimes. And so to read a story where the fandom came together and helped this person achieve her dreams of wearing Arwen's dress was such a, a warm hug. And so she talks about how her dad used to love Lord of the Rings and tried to make her watch that old, uh, that old adaptation of The Hobbit. That oh my is gosh, somewhat frightening. It, I was terrified, <laughs> terrified of that as a child. Oh my, like, terrified. I loved it. I loved it because, of you did. but I had, I you know, I have weird taste, and so she she couldn't get into Tolkien Tolkien at first, and later came to Lord of the Rings. And then, of course, I think a lot of like a lot of people was introduced and became more appreciative of the stories through the movies. And so she decides to make this dress. And in order to do so, she has to do a bunch of research. And of course, back then, this was like in the early days of the internet when like YouTube was just starting out. So she goes to <laughs> They the mentioned it being ring. six months old. <laughs> They're like, back when was YouTube like, was six months old. Who? I was like, when was that? Like, yeah. I did I exist back? I definitely did. I existed <laughs> yep. in the days of floppy disk. So what am I thinking? <laughs> so she goes to the onering.net and it, it was this whole, she talks about how it was this whole community of people who came together and who were really supportive and helped each other like, find facts about what was going on with the adaptation and, you know, uh, giving each other pattern ideas and stuff and how she was encouraged to when she was frustrated because she was an amateur seamstress, like she'd never done anything like this before. But it's such a sweet story about how she made it happen and about how the whole process of inspiration happened. There's even a video where... uh, the costumer who came up with the design for the dress talks about Arwen's costume and all of the work that went into like making it look old and yeah. like ethereal 
They were like burning the velvet or something like that. It was some like complex process they talk about. Yeah. Bleached, dyed, etched, and sandpapered. Sandpapered. There you go. I was like, I know there was an element there that I was like, huh? And I mean, I guess that's what you would know if you were a costume designer. (laughs) Yeah. I just think like the level of work fans put into things sometimes is mind blowing. I don't know if you like if you've paid a lot of attention to like cosplayers and people who like go into a well i'm from san diego and it's the land of comic-con right. so yes i do right <laughs> because sometimes i was just trying to get to work and then you know an elf would walk by or whatever i'm like what's up rock on like cool yeah like de- detailed detailed yeah it's amazing i i just like am blown away and i think that I'm there are still, of course, these communities yeah. that exist within fandom where there are supportive groups of people coming together and making people's like fandom dreams come true. Yeah. I just think it's you know, it's a little bit harder to find that sort of intimacy these days on Absolutely. the great wide internet and it just like took me back a little. This is so wholesome. Yeah, I feel like I, I do yes. absolutely think that that exists. But for the, you know, it's unfortunate, but the really mean parts of fandom just seem to be louder. Like the mean parts of all corners of the internet are louder than the rest, it would seem. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I will wholly jadedly admit that as I kept reading, I kept expecting there to be some sort of hitch in this story. And it was literally just like, no, a bunch of these really friendly people gave me all the resources I needed to take this random dress that I bought and make it look like the bridge dress and I was happy about it and I was like oh this is this is nice it's like I know. Was, like was, what do we do with this what, what do I now what like and then and then where's the tragedy <laughs> no no I wore a dress to prom and here's a picture of me and yeah even she, like the detail work that she was able to put in the bottom because of all the reasons people sent her like sewing patterns I think she said and yeah like for the for the beadwork, the beading. I was like, first of all, I would not like once you say like putting beadwork into a thing, I'm like, or I would have okay, gotten to bead I... number three and been like, so listen, <laughs> like, I, what we're gonna do is hot glue gun, <laughs> exactly, bedazzle it. <laughs> I would have been just like stapling some lace from Joanne's. Like, are you kidding? <laughs> look, at, I mean, I hope you all go and actually click on this link and look at the because you can tell even from this photo, which is from you know a while ago, but you can yeah. see how intricate. And she admits that she actually didn't finish like the top part of the gown because it was so difficult to do. But what she accomplished is pretty impressive, and that's again all just because this really supportive fandom was like, yeah, let's make this happen. Like, we'll help you out. Hashtag wholesome content. Uh, I am happy for it every time I come across it. Rarely. (laughs) So I'm going to pivot us to what I think is supposed to be wholesome. But (laughs) what I called gay news. Like, I just, okay. So (laughs) for his 90th birthday in SFF Tangent News, William Shatner, (laughs) the way they, the the name of the article is William Shatner decided not to die or to never die, which is a a piece from AV Club by Alex McLevy. And essentially it is, you know, obviously, you know, William Shatner will at some point pass, but he has announced or announced, I should say, on his 90th birthday that he is going to live on 
through this interactive sort of version of himself. So he's like, generations will be able to have conversations with him. He says he's doing it for his children and his children's children and all his loved ones so that they'll be able to, he's calling it his gift to them down through time. Uh, the the tone of this piece is my brand, which is Shady Shade, and it yeah, like, <laughs> it was very like at one point yeah you'll I guess it's kind of nice that you'll be able to pull great grandpa out of a drawer and be like hey I heard you were on this really short lived sitcom called you know Ish my dad says <laughs> it was <laughs> it's very shades for Mister you know Captain Kirk but I I. This is where you are even less sentimental about stuff like this than I am. So I imagine we're probably on the same page. But even as a person who has recently lost people in my family that I do occasionally wish I could talk to again, I don't know that this is the move. Like, I just... Yeah. It's giving me, like, those creepy vibes of... I don't know if you've ever been to the Abraham Lincoln exhibit at Disneyland where you can, quote unquote, like, talk to him. That's the vibe it's giving me. Like, very... Because it's not going to answer all your questions. It's going to be like these specific things that I imagine he pre-records. Yeah, I think that's what it sounds like. And I mean, unless they're doing like that sort of. But it's no, just like his let's voice. See, they... Yeah. So it's AI powered interactive conversational video. So maybe there's like a way that they take what he's saying and generate it to like kind of predict extrapolate the sort of thing yeah like uh, but i uh, first of all i have never been into that lincoln room in disneyland specifically because i find that nightmare inducing indeed it is just too much and then like the idea of shatner doing this i kind of like you know, he has said some things on the internet that mm-hmm. are super suspect, and it does mm-hmm. feel like, you know, let's break out the uh, the Facebook uncle <laughs> at the dinner table <laughs> on Thanksgiving. Let's, uh, you know, he's gone. He's passed let's away. Let's hear from him now. <clears throat> we'd like to hear more of that. Because he's like not going to tell me what he thinks about my boyfriend. You know, like, like uh, Grandpa, like, I don't know what to do about Billy. Like, yeah. <laughs> Billy doesn't vote the way I do. Like, he's not going to give you some profile. It's going to be, yeah, at best, like an algorithmic take on his voice. It says it's going to mostly be kind of tied into his life and work. So it's like, yeah, am I going to be like, hey, what should I do? I'm having this, like, ethical crisis. And he's like, that one time that I was on a Priceline commercial. Yeah. I learned. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What in the fresh and fruity word I can't say? Like, I just... I don't know. I don't understand. I I'm sure there is a there is a world where somebody feels like everybody needs their no. voice created by an AI after they're gone, but please if that happens, like if I become a famous figure, just let me go. Let me go. Let me go. <laughs> Just... We don't need to hear from me anymore. Like, it's fine. There's other people in the world. There are other, whatever. So I think that this is like a great weird news that I never want to encounter IRL. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm good. I, I already have a visual of him gathering his family together. Be like, I have something to tell you. And then they're like expecting something really cool. Like, here's what you get in the will. And instead he's like, you'll be able to talk to me anytime. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Billy. Bye. So, no, no, I'm good. So, as Sharifa said, please don't bring me back. Let me go. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I've got one more short, uh, 
one more short bit of news that I could not resist talking about, and it's this <laughs> announcement of a Game of Thrones Broadway adaptation that's in the works. This is from jublo.com uh, and uh, written by Steve Sai. And I was like, is this a mistake? Am I reading this headline wrong? Like, Game of Thrones Broadway adaptation? Mm-hmm. So... Apparently, this is going to be, it's not going to be like a reboot of things we've already seen before. This is going to be um, a piece of Westeros history that centers around the great tourney at Harrenhal, uh, which they did sort of like briefly gloss over in the series. And it was that contest, if if you're... I'll remember the book or watch the show. It was that uh, contest that had happened like 16 years before the events in Game of Thrones. And it involved a lot of the characters. We know Ned Stark is back. Um, and it it's about his sister Liana and what happens with her at this tourney. And so Jamie Lannister as a teenager was involved in this scene robert baratheon of course rhaegar targaryen who you know we didn't really get to see a lot Mm -hmm. of in the show so there are a lot of characters of course like some of the characters like daenerys and Jon snow and Arya stark they were not in existence at this time and the broadway show i keep wanting to say musical which is what i kind of would prefer it to be but you just yes (laughs) I think this is my problem is that I absolutely went to musical when you've suggested this piece. And I'm like, what? Hello, my baby. Westeros. Like, what? I, what? <laughs> like, I literally was like, how on earth are you going to make that and make me take you seriously? And it wasn't until you said it just now that I'm like, oh, wait, those are two set. Like, it doesn't have to be a musical. OK, I guess. I think it should have been like. I mean, bards, come on. Like, you can just introduce the bard and everybody starts singing with the bard. I mean. It's kind of sad that I don't remember any sort of bard in Game of Thrones because that's a missed opportunity. That really is. I'm now thinking of the one from The Witcher and there's like endless potential for comedy there. <laughs> so, Oh, that's right. I keep you hearing know. I never watched The Witcher, but I... I'm still confused. Uh, mainly watched it because of, you know, whatever his name is, Henry Cavill <laughs> mm-hmm. and how nice he looks even with that not horrendous wig. But uh, <laughs> but the bard, to get back to what we're talking about here, was like, right. yeah, it was a really missed opportunity I think you could have done. So, okay, fine. Maybe I am on more on board with this than like I thought. I don't know. It, it I just... It's like Homeboy is just doing anything to avoid not having to finish that book. <laughs> like, I don't know. I know. Well, yes, there are all sorts of other. There's some news that I didn't pull today because I was like, I don't know if I want to stoke the fires of yeah, rage yeah. about Indeed. Game of Thrones. But yeah, there are a million things happening around Game of Thrones. But there is also a part of me that's like, I'm done. I'm done with this. <laughs> Yeah, as you know, I'm one of those people that was really late to Game of Thrones, and I only watched it because I got swine flu in the January before the final season. So, like, you know, five months before, whatever, four months. And so I, like, I don't know, I had, like, less time to, I think if I had waited two years for that ending, I would have been extremely more ragey than I was. I was still angry about it. But I am close enough to that problem to still find this particular storyline that they're potentially going to explore in the Broadway show actually quite interesting. Like, I might be 
suckered into wanting to watch it because I would want to go back into that particular time. But yeah, my, yeah. I don't know my faith. My, my faith. I don't know where the faith is <laughs> right now. I'm gonna be real and say I'm on this. I'm probably going to watch it too. Like, I mean, we gotta. We're we're just like you know. There's if nothing, this is an excuse for us once we have our jabs to just like travel. So sure, sure, I true. will go to Broadway and like watch this happen. Let make that's this fine. Is true. I. That's a good point. <laughs> silver linings that's what we're here for well we should probably talk about our mixtapes yes. but before we do i'm going to tell you about our sponsor which is oni lion forge publishing group and the vein volume one by elliot ray hall so 1941, a Chicago blood bank undergoes a violent robbery where no cash is taken only blood FBI agent Felix Franklin is certain it's part of a wider plot to weaken the United States, but the truth is much more sinister. This kicks off Agent Franklin's nearly century-long hunt across history in search of four immortal, powerful, and practically untraceable vampires. From the crossfires of a 1955 Havana crime ring to the hippie culture of the 1970s in Los Angeles, Agent Franklin will follow the vein all the way into the present day with one goal in mind, ending them. So if that sounds like a your jam, you should check out The Vein in stores now, wherever books are sold. Thank you for sponsoring today's episode. All right, let's get into it. Let me put and my DJ face on. Hmm. Put your DJ face on. Let's do this. <laughs> and it looks like I'm up first, yes. which is a little bit daunting because I am, I am much more of a, Piggledy Piggledy playlist person, <laughs> like that's excellent. <laughs> I do my best, uh, and that's what I'll say about that. But I decided I was thinking about what would go best with songs, like songs I particularly listen to because I wasn't about to do a whole personal exploration of new things over here. So I chose Hair of the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. And it was because I could see so much potential for a soundtrack in this book. So the songs I chose were in theme with kind of the tone I decided fit Harrow the Night. So I thought punky, cerebral, sort of that goth metal edge, very alt like the cover alone is very alt. It's a story that's like bonkers and edgy and irreverent. And it's one I can't talk too much about because it's the sequel to Gideon the Ninth. And I will say that it is a disorienting book that I have talked about before. Uh, again, the second in the Locked Tomb series. And it was such a great read. I did not know what I was getting into and was completely uh, disoriented for a lot of the reading experience. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it. I love the tone of these books. I love the mystery that is in every single read for The Locked Tomb so far. And this one follows Harrow who was in Gideon the Ninth with Gideon. And a lot of it takes place on a spaceship in a really strange 
version of outer space with some super strange characters who you're figuring out. Like you're trying to figure out who they are and what they're all about throughout the book. And there's necromancy and there are nuns and there's an emperor of these nine houses. And this is all part of the first book as well, but it takes you on a completely different journey. So this all took me to a few songs. And the first one I thought of immediately because of that sort of cerebral vibe of the whole book was A Warm Place by Nine Inch Nails, one of my all-time favorite bands. And A Warm Place is one of those tracks that not a lot of people listen to because it's like just a very brief ambient uh there are no lyrics so it's just ambient music and it has this very emotional core and it has this like a warm place is exactly what the song sounds like it's very I guess you would say emo ambient. <laughs> no, that's what, yeah, I was going to say I, I went through and listened to it. And yes, I completely agree. Yeah. And I just love it. Like I listen to it when I'm deep in my feelings or like by myself and feeling my solitude. And I got that with like Harrow as a character in this story that she was very much in her own space um, in a way. And then the next one I chose because that cover, like. I feel like that cover itself needs a song. So I chose Apocalyptic Apocalyptic by Cherry Glazer, which is this indie rock band. And it's this great, I like, I listen to this song when I just really need an extra boost. And when I feel like I am in charge and I'm going into the room maybe with a battle axe. So (laughs) maybe it's like like this sort of power metal sounding track on what is otherwise kind of an indie rock sounding album. And it's probably the, the track I listen to the most on this album because it is so, it just puts you in a place and makes you feel like a bad, you know what, So that was that. And then I had to put something kind of irreverent and quirky (laughs) and weird on this list as well. So I decided that Leaving on a Jet Plane by Peter, Paul, and Mary had to be in there because of the spaceship (laughs) element. And it's just like, yeah. (laughs) From Nine Inch Nails to Peter, Paul, and Mary. You're welcome. You got to be versatile. Exactly. I warned about the higgledy piggledyness, and here it is. I love this. <laughs> so the other two I chose uh, were kind of oddballs as well. There's Miracles by Shonen Knife, and there are some pretty miraculous elements to this story that mostly happen toward the end of the book, and I just love Shonen Knife as a sound for this story in general. Mm. Yeah. Because they're like this, you know, like garage punk band, uh, I believe from Japan. And they're just excellent and fun and quirky. And then the last one I chose just because this book and 
Harrow are so gothy was this corrosion by the Sisters of Mercy. Another, like, emo, long-winded, winding, sort of labyrinthine track that I just love. It's a very long song, but, you know, it's it's a good fit for this, I think. So I just thought, like, this kind of encapsulated how bonkers this story was for me and how many places the story took me to. And I just had to find a playlist that matched that tone. So yeah, again, that was um, to describe Harrow the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. That is an excellent playlist. I, don't, I think you should give yourself some credit. It was thank good. you. Yes. Thank you. I will. I'm patting myself on the back. You should. That's good. I actually haven't read the second one. And I kind of like, it didn't even like I saw the words the ninth and my brain went to Gideon. And I'm like, oh, wait, she's t- definitely talking about like, I totally forgot that you were talking about the sequel. I know. I just talked about Gideon the ninth so much. I was like, I need to take a break. So I'm going <laughs> to talk about Harrow the ninth. <laughs> that is not a bad idea at all. <laughs> and we weirdly have a little bit of synchronicity here in a w- kind of in a way in that we're going to stay on the spaceship. Um, so yes. my first pick is Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez, which is one of my favorite books I've read, I think, in the last few years. Uh, I haven't actually gotten to finish the sequel, but there is one out for this as well called Prime Deceptions. So if you haven't read Chilling Effect, it is a really fun kind of rompy at times space opera. The main character's name is Eva Inocente. She's the captain of this spaceship called La Sirena Negra, which means the Black Mermaid. And so this ship and its crew, they cruise the galaxy and they essentially deliver like small cargo and don't make very much money at it, but they're trying. And the ship is full of psychic cats because why not? (laughs) Full of psychic cats because this shady customer of theirs like ditched them with this cargo of psychic cats and and didn't pay them. So now the cats just like live on the ship and they're hilarious and they get in the way and she's constantly calling them a word that I don't know if I can say because it is technically a curse word, even if it's in Spanish. But (laughs) that brings me to this, which is this book is hella sweary. Eva is of Cuban descent, and so it is very Spanish swear word, and it fed my soul in a way <laughs> that books had not, because it's just, it was fun to see, like, parts. I'm not Cuban, I'm a Mexican-American, but so much of our swearing is, you know, unites us, <laughs> so it was yeah. fun to read about. <laughs> but, um, so the point of the book is that she's, you know, getting along on this spaceship with these psychic cats in her crew when she gets uh, a, a message from this shady syndicate called The Fridge to let her know that they have captured or, you know, kidnapped her sister, Mari, and this syndicate, like, that's what they're known for. They kidnap people, they hold them hostage in cryostasis. So now Eva is going to have to complete this series of really, like, unpleasant and dangerous missions for the fridge in order to pay her ransom. Stuff like she comes into contact with, like, mind control aliens, and there's a cannibal planet. I mean, just a bunch of stuff. But what's hard is that she's, she's basically lying to her crew to get this done. So there's all this, there's this emperor who wants her dead because she turned down his like sexual advances and then she might be catching feelings for the engineer of the ship. So there's just all this stuff going plus the psychic space gatos and, you know, heist <laughs> and swearing and it's just, it's so much fun. Like I love this book so much. Um, so as I said, I am 
a little Siri role when it comes to this kind of thing. But I definitely am very much like when I Sharifa has, can tell you because I do this all the time. I literally make playlists for almost every time people come over to my house. Like it's just the way my mm-hmm. brain works. And it's very much vibe forward. And I know that sounds really pretentious. I don't mean it to be. It's just I kind of go for like, okay, what vibe am I going for? And then just kind of go down a rabbit hole until I find songs that made me feel that vibe. So my songs for this, the first one is called... Well, in English, it's 1977 by Ana Tijoux. So in Spanish, it's 1977. Um, Ana Tijoux is a Chilean-French singer and musician. And she, her songs are, like, she raps, essentially. But the, the beats to her music tend to be this really cool mix of, like, bolero and tango with, like, an urban mix, a lot of bass, really, really good beats. The song is autobiographical about, like, her birth in 1977 to her career. But the flow on this song, like, Jen of this podcast, Jen Orthing, is the one that actually brought this to my attention, even though she had no idea what the F it was saying at the time. Ah. Like, she was just like, this flow is so good that, like, I want you to hear it. And, yeah, like, I love this song and this artist. And I very much envision just like the the tone of this song and like the the candor of her voice and the beat and how she's she's rapping. I wouldn't say aggressively per se, but like she she's just like speaking with such intent that felt like a really good in my mind like opening scene almost of like <laughs> Eva just like looking out into the spaceship like thinking about this like lot that she's been you know given and yeah it so has a lot perfect. of like angsty yeah it's really really good and you know this song I know you have I've heard it on your playlist so it's it's a good yeah one. thanks to yeah. Breaking Bad that's yep. how, I, that's how <laughs> I heard it it all comes together we all have a way of discovering <laughs> the same music such a good artist I love her so good and then this, so this is this is a song that I love. It's an indie band or indie artist. Um, he is his name is Gabriel Rios. The song is called La Torre, which means the tower. And he is a Puerto Rican and Belgian artist. So I am apparently Ooh. only picking people who are half Latino, half European for the first two songs. Um, <laughs> And the song is so interesting and eclectic in that the different parts of the song almost sound like three completely different songs. Like there's this really cool entrance with like a violin forward part where you think you're getting almost like a, oh, this song would go well with like a spy thriller movie. And then it completely goes indie and like kind of soft rock, but has a bit of a like Guantanamera like vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he goes into this high falsetto to sing the part about La Torre. And in my mind, I was like, oh, my God, this is like the Space Gato singing. Like, literally, it's that high pitch. Oh, my goodness. It's just goodness. like, <laughs> like, it's so high. And I was like, the cats, the cats are singing this song. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but literally, that's the pitch it takes. So I was like, oh, my God, this is perfect because we've got a little bit of the Latino vibe. And then the falsetto at the end with this really cool indie vibe. Um, it's a really great song. I love it. But I, I so love it for this this book and then because it has so much of this cuban vibe i was like i have to pick something prototypically cuban and i had to go with the queen of salsa which is celia cruz and the song kimbara which is arguably like one of her most recognizable songs if you've never heard the song it is a duet between her and a dominican artist named johnny pacheco and the opening is just very iconic it's her repeating that bar like over and over again it's the words like kimbara kimbara kira kimbamba and it's played acoustically over these drums and then as it builds then the you know bpm like completely skyrockets and it's more of like a salsa son beat but it would go really well with some of those heisty scenes because you've got that cool you know the it, obviously it says like a salsa son song but it's got a good like pacing to it the entrance of the song is like slower paced so it kind of i don't know primes you for action <laughs> sort of thing and i just oh, love yeah. that she's cuban so yay and then my last two songs are a little more on the nose, but Ring the Alarm by Beyonce because betrayal <laughs> yeah. and anger. 
Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, no plot spoilers, but like, uh, it's not that she's, you know, accusing someone of cheating on her the way that it can Beyonce is in the song, but it just has that anger to it where like she's, she wants to know she needs answers, ring the alarm right now. And then the last one is, um, I don't know if I can say it, <laughs> which better have my money yeah. <laughs> by Rihanna because which better have her money? Like she's hmm, ransom and jobs and stuff. And just overall that like Rihanna I don't know, swag belongs in this book. <laughs> so those are the songs that I have picked for Chilling Effect by Valerie Valdez. I love that book and I love this playlist. It oh, is so, it so perfect. Much. It's so good. Okay, well, I I really was weirdly at a loss for what to choose for my fantasy pick, but... I finally landed on The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Nevo because it's a great book and I loved the idea or rather maybe the challenge of putting together a playlist for such a short read. It's a novella and Mm -hmm. it's this really great story about this young cleric, Chi, who's on their way to the capital. They're going to go to the new empress's first dragon court and... There's a great cast of very few characters in this story. It's mostly, in the primary story, it's mostly Chi and Almost Brilliant, who's Chi's feathered companion and another keeper of knowledge. And then they meet this person who goes by the name Rabbit. And so in the the main story, in the present of the story, Chi is, you know, fact-finding, literally excavating artifacts of historical concern as a a keeper of knowledge. And Rabbit appears now and then in this house called Thriving Fortune to explain what some of the artifacts are by way of telling these stories. So there's another aspect, there's another layer of the the book that is the stories Rabbit's telling, and Rabbit's telling the story about a person named Inyo, who's the Empress of Salt and Fortune. And the Empress of Salt and Fortune is someone Rabbit says she served when the Empress was in court. And so the Empress of Salt and Fortune is this character that was sent down from the north and who had to wed the Emperor. And the Empress lived for a time in Thriving Fortune. And it's just this really great fairy tale sort of story about a romance that was lost and about empire and the consequences of empire on lives, specifically on the lives of women, and of Inyo, who was taken from her home and sent to live somewhere else where she was meant to be with a person she had no interest in, and who has other interests elsewhere. So I thought that this story was just a wonderfully whimsical, sort of brief but epic story. It's really difficult to make a story feel epic in such a short span of time and in such a 
yeah, with such brief uh, storytelling tools. And it was still so epic and so sweeping. And it has this romantic element, specifically a queer romantic element that gave the whole tale a sense of longing and this the sense of a bittersweet love affair. So I had to choose some slightly emo uh, songs to go yes. with this. <laughs> so I tapped into like early 20s me. And the first group, this is, this is a group pick. Uh, so it's a whole band. And I chose Malice Miser. And it's this band from Japan. And they had this whole alt thing going. They were very popular in like the gothic Lolita crowd. And I remember them from back when they're not around anymore. But what I would choose if you wanted to actually listen to the music, which I could not find on Apple Music. So I don't know if it exists in many places anymore, but you can go on YouTube. And I highly recommend looking up the live 25th anniversary Deep Sanctuary 6 concert. And it is this truly epic emotional dark fairy tale looking concert because the band members of malice miser are very dramatically dressed they were always like dressed to the nines costumed up um in gothic lolita looks and i love the drama malice miser brings uh, to the world and to music. And also, the band members are very much not about gender norms. So I thought that was also another aspect of why it was a great fit for this story. And if you just need a dose of like dark drama, I definitely recommend you check out that concert and, of course, also read this book alongside it. You could probably. You could probably read the entire book while watching the concert. It'd probably take as long. So there's that. And then I also wanted something that had that sort of mysterious, swept away feeling the Empress of Salt and Fortune gave me. And I landed on Beautiful Collision by Bic Runga, which is a, a song I used to play on loop. You know, you find those songs sometimes and like mm-hmm. you're alone and just listening to it on loop forever. In the early aughts, I definitely listened to a lot of Beautiful Collision. And it's just this sort of sweet, emotional song with a great instrumental backup like it is it will make you feel like you're being taken away somewhere on a journey and that there is some sort of love story at the core happening and also the title like if you take the love element out of it and you listen to it in another way I thought that this was also a great pick for the beautiful collision of chi and rabbit just coming together, fate Mm. sort of bringing them together so that Rabbit could tell Chi this story and, you know, set it into history. So I just thought that was, you know, a really lovely part of the story of the Empress and Salt and Fortune. 
And then I went a completely different direction and chose Next Lifetime by <laughs> Erica Badu. <laughs> I love this pivot. I love this song. It it speaks to, you know, a romance that can't be Erica Badu sings about being in, you know, a relationship with somebody else while being approached by a person who is also a possible love interest who speaks to her heart but you know things can't happen she's you know sort of taken and so i thought that that spoke to the empress of salt and fortune of inyo's story of having an interest in someone and not being able to make it happen because of this set romance or the set marriage like this is a thing that's happening and we can't make this other thing happen so i just thought that that was like a more lighthearted song to go with the story and then my last pick is just really mostly about chi and almost brilliant on their journey and it's felt mountain by goldfrap which is another like uh just instrumental song mostly with like gold frap yodeling in the background or something <laughs> it's fine it's all fine i just i love this song so much because it is it speaks to like my quirky whimsical heart and i think that um there is an element of this story while it is it does go to some dark places and you know, the romance isn't necessarily a happy one. I think that Chi and Almost Brilliant are kind of this light spark that um, the characters bring to the book, and they just make it feel a little bit more lighthearted and more whimsical. And I just love the idea of these two characters on their journey discovering things and sort of being like you know pretty happy-go-lucky about it I just felt like this was a perfect representation of those two characters and so yeah that is my playlist for the Empress of Salt and Fortune again that's by Nevo that is an excellent lit I actually haven't read that book and I've been meaning to but everybody that talks to me about it like it seems like you captured the essence so I, I think it's so job. fun I will I will lend you the book Sharifa does this for me often (laughs) (laughs) it's mutual mutual. like let me your things uh okay (laughs) so because I have not been on this podcast I feel that it is fine for me to pick what is ultimately a very predictable book for me because I did not stop talking about this book on all like any platform I was given (laughs) last year a book ride I was like I want to talk about this this is what we're gonna do but I love this book so much so my fantasy pick is Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas I was always going to love this book because it is so rooted in Latin Day of the Dead culture, which, I mean, I literally have a tattoo of a sugar skull and marigolds on my arm. Like, this was always going to be a book that I was going to love. (laughs) But so if you don't know, it is a... God, it's so many things. It's like queer, paranormal, YA fantasy with some romance. The main character is Yadriel, and he is a trans boy who just wants more than anything for his super traditional Latinx family to accept that he is uh, a man. To prove that he is a brujo, because his family is, they're all brujos, which is the Spanish word for like witch. 
And I love that it's everybody's either a brujo or a bruja. There's it's not like witch and wizard per se. So it is, I guess, still gendered, but it's like the word technically just means witch. And I don't know, I kind of dig that. And he is again, he's a man, so he just wants to be able to perform the coming of age ritual that other, you know, brujex do when it is their time, but he wants to do it as a man because he's a man and his family is like, eh, not not so much. And of course, that is extremely hurtful to him. So he decides he's gonna just take matters into his own hands and enlists his cousin, who's also like his bestie, and they decide to essentially sneak out into the cemetery that the family overlooks or like oversees and complete this ritual under the dark of night. And then once the ritual takes place and it seems to have worked, which is awesome because he's been told all his life that it wouldn't work because it's going to recognize that he's supposed to, you know, that he was assigned as a girl at birth, etc. So he's super jazzed. And the last part of this ritual is going to be that he's going to summon the ghost of what they believe to be his murdered cousin and then set it free. Because that's one of the things that the brujos, that's one of their responsibilities in this you know world that we get in the book. Pero the ghost that he summons is not his cousin. It's somebody named Julian who he he knows. He knows he, he was like a student from his high school that he like knew of but wasn't friends with. But Julian re- refuses to leave because he says he's got some unfinished business. And the book kind of from there becomes about Yadriel sorry, having to or trying to help him get rid of whatever he needs to get done so that he can go back and hopefully he can find his cousin and then prove to his family that, you know, everything is okay and I'm a brujo, but things get kind of complicated by many reasons or for many reasons, none of, you know, one of which is definitely that he's starting to have some feely feels for Julian, which is complicated, not only because he's a boy and his, you know, traditional family might not accept that, but also because he's, you know, a ghost and there's that. So (laughs) the book is, again, so much fun. It is rooted in this Day of the Dead tradition. It most of it takes place in this cemetery in LA, and so the first song that I picked is also super emo. It's got "Ode to a Conversation <laughs> Stuck in Your Throat" is the name of the song by Delwater Gap, and they or he is a solo project by the songwriter and producer S. Holden Jaffe, who d- literally describes his music, and I didn't know this until after, but as inspired by romantic encounters in dimly, dimly lit rooms, and yes, like that Ooh. is. I absolutely like it if you listen to the song i hope you do it's it just completely encaptures that like ah crap moment when you realize that you have feelings for a person and don't mm-hmm. know how to be like hey so like don't like anyone but me okay <laughs> like not knowing how to say that <laughs> and that like tortured angsty feeling is just it plagues Yadriel for so much of the book because he's got these feelings and he knows that he or thinks you know he shouldn't indulge them for a variety of complicated reasons but like he cannot deny that he's feeling them and so that song just really gets to I think what is a very universal feeling for anybody who's ever like again had that like oh no I like you like moment (laughs) it's really really great so that's my first one Second is, well, I guess I have one that's also just an artist, and that's Bad Bunny, who is, if you are at all in the reggaeton scene, which I know a lot of folks are now calling Latin trap. I guess that makes sense. I did not know that. Yeah, I I, like have feelings about that. Like I've been listening to reggaeton since, you know, I was in college, and I guess that kind of fits because it is going in that direction. But anyway, it's a very, yeah, it's a blend of music that kind of blends just uh I guess urban beats with yeah like lots of influence from reggae and dance hall and I guess yeah like a little bit of that trap beat but it's the the reason I wanted to recommend Bad Bunny is because there is a lot of you know mention of like reggaeton type of music in the book and Bad Bunny is one of the few artists I can think of who is extremely fluid about gender 
has a lot of really interesting, you know, videos where he kind of plays around with the concept of gender and has, you know, dresses and wears like what's traditionally considered female attire. And again, if you are have, I don't know, just familiar with (laughs) toxic masculinity, and especially in the Latino culture, it's a really big deal. And it was a big like splash when he started to do it. And not everybody's comfortable with it. And he continues to do it, which is why I wanted to make sure that I threw something by him in here. But another song that I think just kind of fits the vibes is called TV by this group called Piso 21, which translates to 21st Floor. <laughs> I think it has something to do with like where they first started recording music. But anyway, it just has that <laughs> like summary when, again, like you're young or, or not even just young, but like when you're flirting with someone and the sun is out and you're outside and in a group and like dancing and laughing and having a good time and just that like that washed over warm feeling I guess you get when you realize you might be like crushing on a person and I don't know just very like summer of love sort of thing but with that that very like infectious reggaeton beat that is very typical of a lot of reggaeton music and it just felt like something that Julian would bump all day so I wanted to put that in there holding hands skipping and maybe twerking maybe twerking maybe headed to the trap house according to the people that gave it that latin trap name i don't know that is <laughs> i don't know i feelings like about the name but it's such a fun song it's a really great again yeah just like skipping around and then in a yeah also completely different direction i picked i i almost want to just pick florence and the machine as an artist or as a group as well for lots of reasons uh i just ended up settling on two songs one is seven devils and it's just because if you've ever heard this song it is very like aggressive piano forward, but in a very like creepy way. I mean, the song is called Seven Doubles. Ooh, I like that. I think the song is actually supposed to has like a sexual undertone <laughs> that I oh. like, conveniently <laughs> ignored uh, because mainly it's about the like, if you just hear the song and you're not really listening to the lyrics, it's, it's just, I think, perfect for this scene that I don't want to spoil, but that is in like this underground lair in the cemetery and where like the bad element reveals itself and it's just very like ah what do i do and it's it's really really like creepy in that way so i think that fits really well and also the song that i'm very very proud of myself for picking (laughs) is called hardest of hearts it's just a cool also song about like the lyrics literally say there's love in your body but you can't hold it in it pours from your eyes and spills from your skin and it's it's about like yeah having like feelings that you are, are positively bursting from you but you can't find a way to express but i patted myself on the back after I compiled this list, because I ended up Googling, I was fairly positive that Aiden had made a playlist when they were revealing, you know, the debut of the book. And sure enough, they did make one on Spotify. It's very easy to find. And they include a lot of reggaeton and a lot of Florence and the Machines. I was like, ha! Amazing! I was there. Yeah, but I mean, I guess the clues were there, so I'm not like that cool, but still. You're cool. No, (laughs) it was like, kismet it was kismet that's what i was about to say and then my last pick is a very quick one but it is a song that ruins me every time i hear it it's also one that sharifa has heard on my playlist but it's called ojos de sol by ilabamba ojos de sol means oh it means eyes of sun and holy crap so this song is the last song that is played in the season finale of the first season of netflix's gentified in this super emotional moment where like all these things are happening. And if you don't cry at that part, like I just don't know what to do with you. And this particular, like it's a very short song and that little chorus, the part that I'm talking about is one that's played several times, but in the very final time of that, it plays it's, it's a melody. It's like a harmonized, sorry. It's a lot of really pretty harmony. 
And when it hits that, the other voices chime in, I, I it destroys me every time. <laughs> I just like reduce myself to a puddle of tears, uh. partially because I'm thinking of that scene. But it fits really well, too, with these this emotional part of the book where Yadriel is having to kind of come to terms with his feelings, but also this like really horrible thing happens. And so you're just, I don't know, you feel yourself being torn apart by like what is going to happen. And that's, I think the moment that this song like perfectly vibes with, it's just that like, ah, rip my soul up. And I don't know what to do with all this, like feelings and pain. Um, And I know it's a very positive note to end on, but it's a beautiful song. (laughs) (laughs) So please go listen to that. But yeah, that is my playlist for Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas. Uh, That was perfect. And this was so much fun. This was so much fun. I had such a great time. Thank you so much for being on the show, as always. It's so much fun to have have you talk about music. And SFF Yeah is, of course, sound edited by DR Baker. Many thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode. You. Uh, you can find more recs at bookriot.com and find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can email us at yeah at bookriot.com. And please, if you have a moment, review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. You can find us online. Where can they find you, Vanessa? I am on the Twitter machine and on Instagram at Buenos Dias SD, which is B-U-E-N-O-S-D-I-A-Z, like my last name, S-D. And you can find me on Instagram at S-I-N-A-B-Williams. That's S-Z-I-A-N-A-B Williams. C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. <laughs> I know how to She spell. knows how to spell her name. It's great. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.